back on Finding Japan with a yep. repeat guest. You might be my, well, other than the host Emeritus, who's the original host, Chris, you might be my first repeat guest. Nice. And Glad to be back. All right. And this is uh, Tim Anderson. And you may remember uh, we did an interview uh, about your startup about three years ago, Musubi. Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah, so we thought um, it would be cool to have you back on to talk about Japanese startups, where you're at with Musubi and whatever else you ask whatever else you got going on and so yeah there we are glad to be back thanks for having me again so just as a recap tell everybody a little bit what you were doing with musubi so with musubi now as several years ago it was a startup it was a two-sided marketplace uh, a service that matches teachers and students so say if you're an English teacher or a basketball teacher or a piano teacher, we match you up with a student and uh, you do your lesson and we get a commission for each lesson. And I, I believe it was about 20% commission. And that's pretty much it. Nice. So when you were putting that together, how far did you get? Um, we got a little bit of traction or well, a little bit uh i would say like 200 teachers but we got them signed up but we didn't we couldn't get them to continuously keep doing lessons on our platform so they would sign up and then they would do nothing and we couldn't get it past that stage so it wasn't it wasn't really making much money at all what do you think was the hard part like it sounds like you were able to attract like it was it sounds like it was an attractive platform but like you said, people would sign up and maybe they, I don't even know, maybe they would do just one lesson or one thing, but it was hard to keep them going, keep yeah. the repeat. So it's a, it's a feature of like a two-sided market. So you have teachers and students. And if there's not enough teachers, there's no reason for students to come. If there's not enough students, there's no reason for the teachers to come. So it's a chicken and the egg problem, right? Like you need both at the same time, but like how, how do you get it kickstarted? How do you get it off the ground in the first place? So uh, you need to artificially uh, get one part of the market. So if, if it's, you're able to get teachers first or students first in some way, then you can get the other side. So for example, if you can get a few teachers and just put like a shit ton of money into ads, for example, then you can artificially get students attracted to the, the platform. But we, we didn't have any money, so we didn't have any money for ads and we couldn't figure out any way to get it off the ground in the first, in the first place. So it just proved to be way too challenging. So you were mentioning that you had 200 teachers. Yeah. How did that? So if you have a pool of 200 teachers, was the advertising problem that you couldn't get the students or you mentioned about like the teachers would sign up, but they wouldn't do anything. And I guess that's because they weren't able to get students. Um, so this was my first uh, try at a startup. So the idea was if we make this beautiful platform and then we go out, hustle, get some teachers on board. Uh, we thought they would just like on their own volition, on their own effort, they would like, you know, post on Facebook, like, oh, we're, we signed up for Moosby. Like, why don't you come to Moosby and sign up for our lesson? Like, 
we thought they would do the marketing for us, but in reality, it was like it was nowhere close to that, right? Like they would sign up, they would make a a, a profile, and they would expect us to do the marketing. They expect us to get the students, so they would make a profile and then they would do nothing, and that happened two hundred times. And wow! Yeah, yeah, two hundred times is not a bad sample size yeah, yeah. In, in the wrong direction but yeah so are there examples of this model being successful there must have been a reason why you wanted you wanted to try to do this did you have like a an aspirational an akogare like a another service that was doing something similar it doesn't have to be in japan but right 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 the original idea it was very very simple i just didn't have any experience in startups right so i wasn't very knowledgeable about what a successful business model would be or what I have to research or understand before starting a business. So I was a programmer and I had experience as an English teacher. So I just put the two together. What if I could, you know, connect English teachers with students online was the original idea. And then it just expanded from like, why, why limit myself just to English teachers? Why not just do all forms of teachers? And it, it turned into that. And this, this service, matching teachers with students, it's been done like several times before. I mean, there's a website called Skillshare. In mm -hmm. Japan, there's a company called Street Academy that's already successful. If you think about Airbnb experiences, um, it's, it's a little bit different, but it's quite similar in how you know, a person who has a certain expertise, say, like, if they're an ex uh, expert in local cuisine, they can, you know, match with a person, like, let's just call them a student who's interested in local cuisine. Uh, so in that sense, it's a matching platform. And so there's a lot, there was a lot of competition. So that, on top of all the other problems I was mentioning before, it was just too difficult to find mm. success. Do you think it was inevitable at the stage, such as the funding, the experience that you have, was it inevitable, looking back on it, was it inevitable that you would fail? Or are there things that you think, if I could have been able to do this, like early on, planned it like this, or structured it like this, or went and got funding first, or did something different, that even at that time, do you think it could have been successful? Um, as the platform was, like what the platform turned out to be, just a very simple teacher connected to students. Um, no, there was, in my mind, there was no way it would succeed. Like um, in the startup world, there's a very important thing you have to consider. You have to be differentiated from other services, right? There has to be something different about you. So it would have to be like connecting teachers with students plus some very unique feature, you know what I mean? That really sets you apart. Not, not like um, in a shallow sense or a very superficial sense, like in a real deeply, deeply into the business model, something truly differentiating you from all other business models and services. If you don't have that, you either need like a shit ton of money or a shit ton of connections, very strong connections, or some truly unfair advantage over other similar services yeah strong previous branding or something yes yeah. there there has to be something right and we did not have that something so 
if it, it wasn't a matter of like putting more effort or like more of this, like there was something fundamentally not working with that business. Okay, fair enough. Would you probably wouldn't, but if you were to like say after like some more experience and perhaps you know a different just being in a different station or a position in your life, would you ever think that it's an idea that you might want to pursue like five years from now or 10 years from now, like kind of a rematch or like you probably change, you probably change it quite a bit, but, or do you think that's just like something, Hey, that was a good experience, but that ship has sailed. And I don't think it's anything that I could ever come back to. Right, 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 right. I actually had the opportunity to like consider like maybe I should try it again. Um, so I took a moment to think about it and, the the answer I came up with was like absolutely hell no, because it it feels like going backwards. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I I don't want to go backwards. If I would try again, try to start up again, I would want to try something quite different. Like I I don't like the concept or feeling of going backwards. So the answer was no way. Yeah, I think there's a strong emotional con uh, element to yeah doing something or going back to something. It's one thing to go back if it was like a long lost passion where you're like, you know, I don't know, like for example, you played piano when you were a kid for a little bit and then you let it go because your parents said, be a doctor, be a lawyer. And then like, you know, later on you're like, no, I still want to be a musician. That could be something that you might want to pursue because of some kind of passion. But yeah, probably a, you know, I mean, in a sense you are doing new things because it's not like you've quit trying to do startups. You just, that idea was one that you've kind of laid to rest. Yeah, yeah, just new yeah. ideas. All right. Absolutely. So after Musubi, what, where were you, like, as far as your, you probably have, like, a regular work, regular job, and then how was your feelings about the next thing you wanted to do? So the way I was doing it, Musubi wasn't really making any money. So I had uh, contract work, right? I was making websites for clientele. Like that's how I was making money and paying the bills, paying the rent. Uh, So Musubi, it was not working. I was actually on my honeymoon with my wife. And uh, we were in Hawaii. And so when when you step out of your, you know, your own circle, your own like, uh, head, you, you get a fresh perspective on what you're doing and where you're at. And when I, when I did that, when I got to stand out and have that outside perspective, it became crystal clear, like, this is not working, man. Like, you got to do something different. So that, that's when I quit. And I still had uh, that, that energy inside me that thought that I wanted to do a startup, that I wanted to build my own business. I wasn't ready to give up. So I took uh, one month to try to think of a new idea, and then I started pursuing that new idea. So what was that idea that you came up with? The next idea was, um, it's called referral marketing, uh, where if you uh, refer your friend to a shop, you both get a kickback, you both get points or some sort of gift in return. And the idea, so this idea is quite common for online shops, for EC shops. Like if you input your friend's email address, uh, they get like a 10% discount and you get a 10% discount. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a very efficient and uh, effective marketing tool for online. 
and the idea was to bring it to offline shops, say for like restaurants or like a local bar or a bookstore, whatever, whatever you want to think about. And so if you go to a cafe and you refer your friends, say you both get a free coffee kind of thing. Uh, that was the idea. That's what I was trying to build. Do you build the app for that first and then take that app around or that platform to various businesses? How do you, how do you get businesses to be like a member or part of your platform? Right, right. So I built a MVP, as they call it, minimal viable product. And it's um, otherwise known as like a very, very shitty version, first shitty prototype of uh, what you're thinking about. Okay. And built that in like a couple weeks. And when, when you have that built, at least you have something to show the shops. Like I have this built, like, are you interested? And it, it gives you the opportunity to get feedback, right? Like feedback is like your lifeblood. If you don't get feedback, there's no way to grow. So show them the first uh, version, the first prototype, AKA MVP. And you start selling, selling, selling and see what works, see what doesn't work. And I, I was able to get uh, about 10, 10 shops to sign up. Okay. How, how did that work out? Were you, so right now you're living in Tokyo, but were you still in the Kansai area at the time? The first, so I did that one for one year. The first half, I was still in Kobe in the Kansai area. The second half, I moved to Tokyo. And did you just like, if you saw a shop that you thought was interesting... Did you talk to the, the manager or the owner, try to make connections? Uh, I started through my own network. So either direct people that I knew who were uh, doing their own shop or business mm -hmm. and also like just friends of friends, right? Like I would talk to, reach out to every single person I could. Like, do you know anybody, any business owner that is trying to improve their marketing kind of thing? And if you could just get me in front of them, like I'll, I'll like be in indebted to you forever just please god help me out kind of thing so was the idea that if if the shop got a referral you would get a percentage of how would that work this one was a subscription service ah, so okay. uh you pay monthly uh i set it at three thousand yen three thousand yen per month and then that's it. Uh, we, you pay 3,000 yen per month, and my job is to get you as many referrals as possible. So was there a way, I guess it would be, how would that work? So someone would come into the shop, and then would they need the app? What was, was there an app they would need? Is yeah. Is that how that would work? Okay. So the, the shop owner, it's an app. So the way it would work, and this is going to become clear why this business didn't work because how many steps was necessary. So the shop owner would have to sign up, pay me 3,000 yen a month. A customer would come to the shop and buy something, yeah? The shop owner would have to tell the customer, okay, I'm doing this. It's called Buzzeru. You have to uh, download this app called Buzzeru. So the customer would have to download the app. And then the customer would have to send a link to their friend. So the shop owner will have to teach the customer how to send a link to the friend. And then the friend would also have to download the app, create an account, and then come to the shop. And then show the shop owner like they have this referral from the friend. It would be like a screen like I have a referral from my friend. Yeah. And then the shop owner would give the customer a free coffee or a free whatever. 
and then they would have to press a button on the app saying, like, I gave this person a free gift. So there was a whole ton of steps, right, that everybody had to go through for it to be like a, a successful tra uh, transaction. Was this something that you didn't see coming at first or you saw it but thought I could figure out a way to overcome this, this ste these steps? Right, right, right. The original concept was easy, right? Like refer your friend, get a free coffee. Like that's it, right? The concept was easy. And then when I uh, sought out to actually build it, it, it became clear like how many things like had to, had to be done. And this one also, there's other companies that were able to successfully do it. The way other companies did it was they would have an iPad with the app pre-installed and the iPad will sit next to the register machine and uh, the customer would just go to the register and like uh, input their email address or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So I was trying to do it without the iPad and like everybody just do it on their own smartphones. Yeah, I guess that's to lower initial cost, right? Lower the initial cost, yeah. Um, but I wasn't able to, uh, you know, remove steps. I wasn't able to make a smooth UX, as they call it. I wasn't able to make a smooth experience between mm -hmm. the customer and the shop owner. And it, it was just, I, I couldn't get crack, crack that and I couldn't make that successful. Yeah, it's hard. Like if you lower the cost barrier to entry, then you have the kind of the system barrier to entry, you know, all the steps. And I yeah. guess that's really hard. People who have a little bit of money can pay the cost yep. and, you know, create a smooth experience. If you don't have a lot of money, then you have to do an experience without, you know, the iPad and the equipment, the infrastructure, but then that means a lot of steps. Exactly. It's exactly. weird. What was the um, thing that was really popular a few years ago? Groupon, those kind of things, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's interesting how that ever got off the ground, although that turned out to be quite shady and flaky at the end. Yeah. But, but the idea of how that spreads, right? I think the, the virility of, that's probably a different word. Virility means like when you're fertile. The viralness. Yeah. <laughs> hey, the virility of your, of your adventure. Like, you know, it's hard trying to get it, something to just spread on its own, almost like yeah. a sn snowball, you know, just get bigger and bigger on its own through momentum and, and you know, social, yeah, social uh, connections. Right, right. Like yeah. the... The, the, one of the thoughts was like, because it's a service where you refer your friend. So like, uh, the idea was that there's like a virality is naturally baked into the service. So you refer your friend, so the friend becomes aware of Buzzardoo. So that person refers their friend, that friend becomes uh, aware of Buzzardoo. So the, the whole viral aspect was naturally inside the service, right? So if I could have uh, made it successful, the marketing would be easier. I'm sure it would still be difficult, but at least it would be a little bit easier. Yeah. It never caught, right? If you could have got that catch through that, yeah. through the referrals, and if people would have started working for you, in a sense, it yeah. would have, you know, could have, it could have expanded, but it was hard to get that initial catch. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But also, the name is good. Uh, Buzzer? I like yeah, I loved. I yeah. really like that name, Buzzer. I think that was I, one of those things. I bet you were like, when you came up with it, you're like, yes, like, yep, that's it. Yeah, I, I was actually trying to think of names. I was doing like market research, 
And then when I, when I saw the word buzzeru, I was researching in Japanese, right? When I was searching for the uh, word, uh, doing market research, the word buzzeru popped up. As soon as I saw that name, I typed it into like GoDaddy, looking for the domain name. And buzzeru.jp was open. And as soon as I saw it, I knew that was the name. So nice. it was what like was the there spelling? was a click. B-U-Z-Z? It was, uh, no, just B-A-Z-U-R-U. Oh, you went with Bazuru. Okay, yeah. Yeah, like so complete, ju just a Romaji. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, just for people who don't know, yeah, it's like, obviously it comes from the English word buzz, yeah. but it's, you know, it, it gets, uh, gets uh, verbalized, or that's weird. Once again, I'm saying weird things. It yeah. gets turned into kind of a, vo a verb, because in Japanese, nanika wo suru, uru, right? So Bazuru yeah, yeah, yeah. means to like, kind of make something buzz, like spread it. Yeah, so it's interesting. It's a good name. Thank you, thank you. So you I were still, at that for like about, that yeah, you were at that for about a year? You said it's six months in Kansai, and you moved to Tokyo, and you were still continuing to do that? Yeah, I worked on that one for one year. Was that on your own, or did you work with somebody? That one, I had a partner. So it was me and a partner working on it together, just the two of us. Okay. And then, I guess, it, was there just some point where you went, I think I have to close this down? Was there something? That, like your first project, you said, you know, your honeymoon and the out, being outside of Japan gave you perspective. What happened with Bazuru? So this one, uh, the reason uh, I had to give up on it is different. Um, so at the time, like half a year into it, me and my wife, we decided we wanted to have a family. Yeah, We wanted to start a family. And so at half, half a year in, Buzzardu still wasn't making any money. And we wanted to start a family. So I had a conversation with my wife. And uh, we decided we made a hard promise. One more half a year. And if it's still not making good money, if it's not really moving towards success, I would have to give it up no matter what, right? Like a hard deadline. Uh, it was end of May, until end of May. Okay. 2019. And we, I made that promise. And when it came time, when it was like early May, I still like if I do like one more new feature, if I tried one more new yeah. tactic, uh, I would succeed. Like why, why won't my wife understand that? Like I, that was what I was thinking in my head, right? Mm -hmm. She would just give me a little bit more time. I could yeah. make this work. Like I really thought it. Yeah. But when I made the promise, it was, it was like truly a, a hard promise. Like, no, sh no, like bullshit. This is yeah. a promise. You know what I mean? Yeah. So because we made that promise, um, I, I'm not going to, you know, break that deeper promise to my wife. You know yeah. what I mean? You, so, got, you got to May and your wife was like, put yeah. the MVP down, back yeah. away slowly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then exactly. she shot it with a shotgun. <laughs> it was like, you're done. Nah, I, I get yeah. it, you know. So, you know, I made the promise, so I gave up on it. In retrospect, my wife was absolutely correct, right? It was that business was not going anywhere. It was time to give it up. Mm -hmm. So in, retro in retrospect, it was Sorry, the you're correct. making just a little bit of noise with your mic. So yeah, uh, sorry. Maybe move forward a little bit or, yeah. In retrospect, she was right. It, it was the right decision to uh, give up on it. And... Yeah, uh, at the time, my emotions were running high, but it was the right decision. It was time to give it up. 
that's good. That's a good lesson in a sense that it's good that you had that heart out, right? Yeah. That you made that promise with your wife and she was able to hold you to that. Because I'm sure if you were on your own, oh, although the circumstances would have been different, but either like, let's say you are, you are with your wife, but she just didn't, you didn't make that promise. Yeah. You know, it could have been something that could have kept dragging and then it could have been exactly, an undercurrent exactly. of stress and, you know, friction and, you know, could have been, yeah, I guess it could have been worse or just, it could have been a lot harder. So in a sense, it was good that you had that, that, you know, strong deadline. I'm sure it sucked, but yeah, at the end it was good. I mean, so, you're, uh, go ahead. Uh, so you, you moved out to Tokyo. Um, of course you were continuing to do Bazuru at the time. Yeah, but you also came out for a job, or did you get a job later? So at the end of May, I gave up Buzzru, and then it was time to job search. So I went through the whole job search process. It took me three months. Uh, you know, interviewing with like it must have been like I probably interviewed with between twenty and thirty companies. And yeah, it was a stressful, stressful time. I bet, I bet. I've kept on doing freelance stuff because I just don't like to go through. No one likes to. I just don't want to go through the whole interview process. Yeah. How was that? What did you, where did you end up? I mean, you don't have to, you know, give the big details of the work, but just generally, what are you, what are you doing right now, just to kind of keep your boat afloat? So. End of the story, I'm a product manager at a company called EdoCode uh, here in Tokyo. It's an IT company. And um, so I was a programmer before, uh, before the startups, I was a programmer. At the startups, I was the programmer programming the websites. So when I started uh, searching for a job, I was searching for a front-end engineer job. And I'm not that good a programmer, right? Like I, I can get the job done, but I'm not like anywhere close to, you know, those, you know, crazy programs out there who know like so many different languages and they like, they really know their shit. You know what I mean? Like I, I was not that guy, you know what I mean? So I, I started interviewing for jobs and the first couple interviews, uh, the recruiters like, you know, Tim, you know, you, you would be a really good product manager. And I sat, I, I was sitting there and they told me, you know, product manager. I'm thinking in my head, like, what the hell is a product manager, right? I'm, I'm wondering that too. Yeah. Oh, I've never heard of that position before. So, like, I, I'm nodding my head, like, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I'm sure I would be a good product manager thing. And I have, like, no idea what a product manager is. So, naturally, like, I get home after the interview and I start, like, Googling product manager. What the hell is a product manager? And it, it's basically, a person who is uh, at the intersection of uh, engineering, uh, what is it? Between engineering, the customer, and I don't even remember anymore. I would say business. So between the user, uh, the engineering, and the business. So the product manager is at the cross section of all three. So they. Uh, they basically hear all parts of the business and communicate it to everybody and they help the company decide the best path forward, like what the company should be building and why is what the product manager does. That sounds like a cool job, like kind of a lot of responsibility, but it sounds like it could be a lot of fun because you get a lot of different aspects. You get to talk to the actual you know, people who build the product, then you talk to the people who use the product. And then yep. you also have kind of the overall company and where they're trying to go. 
and then you kind of balance that all out. Is that is that definition pretty much what you do right now, or is it yeah. is it a little bit different, or how would you explain your your specific position? That, that's that's spot on. Uh, one one way people put it online that I've heard before is is a product manager is like the CEO without any decision power. So they get to touch everything and they, they get to, you know, study the business and, you know, uh, do market research and do all different kinds of stuff. But they don't have the de- decision power. They have to convince everybody else that this is the correct decision. And then the CEO or the manager or the person above you makes the actual decision. Like, okay, that's, that's a good idea. Let's do it kind of thing. Cool. Is it? Sounds hard. It is hard. It's a little bit like uh, vague in what your actual job description is. Yeah. But like you, you get to touch so many things and it, it's, it's, I love it. Like it, it's a lot of fun. That's cool. Uh, so I think you mentioned before this interview, you're also still kind of working on startup stuff. Yes, I am. So I still, within my new company, uh, m- not my company, the company I work at, Edocode, uh, they're, they're actually really flexible and then they're really open-minded and they're open to their employees pursuing businesses within the company. And so as soon as I became aware of that, that, that was one reason I joined the company in the first place, that I knew they were open-minded about it. And so I, I entered the company and quite early, I decided, I raised my hand, like, I, I have a business idea, like, can I try it out? And they're like, uh, yeah, hell yeah, go for it. So I, I get to have the best of all wor- worlds. I get to get a salary while pursuing a new business. That's cool. Can you tell us anything about that? Or is that still top secret? Not at all, not at all. Um, so the idea now is uh, it's a service where uh, it connects celebrities with fans. So fans uh, fill out a form and then they ask a celebrity to make a three to five minute video in exchange for a fee. So say you pay 5,000 yen and a celebrity gets the 5,000 yen, they make a three to five minute personalized video just for the fan and they send back the video. And that's it. It's a very simple service. A fan pays money. The celebrity gives back a three to five minute video just for that one person. No one else can see the video, only that one fan. Oh, wow. Or whoever that fan wants to show it to. But Exactly, exactly. They get the video customized. Is it basically like a, I guess the, the celebrity says hi and says the person's name? and Yep. Yeah. So the, right. the fan fills out like, oh, it's, it's my birthday or it's my friend's birthday. Aha, uh-huh. yeah. Or like, say, if you're a recruiter, like, uh, we have a new employee. Like, can you say, like, congratulations on new job kind of thing? Like, mm-hmm. there, there's various applications uh, where you would, it, it would be fun to get a, a message from a celebrity uh, for a person. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, that's something that celebrities already do, right? So you're just creating this system that facilitates that and also gives customers an opportunity to request it rather than almost feeling like they got lucky, right? There's those, you know, there's those, I don't know, like a TV show and then the guest will be on the TV show and then the guest will say, you know, my, my, my sister is a big fan of yours, the celebrity that's on the show. And then could you say something into the camera? You know, that's like coincidental. It happens, yeah. you know, under very 
specific and limited circumstances. But this way you can systemize it and give people an opportunity to have access to that. And that'd be a great, yeah, like you said, like someone's birthday or congratulating somebody. That'd be a great surprise, right? I was thinking at first, like somebody wants that for themselves, but what they really want is, yeah, my 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 best friend loves this singer or this actor and would love to, you know, get a message for their birthday or some kind of encouragement. That's cool. Exactly, exactly. The the word a good word for it is monetizing. So mm-hmm. it's a way for uh, celebrities to monetize, you know, talking one on one with their uh, fans. Like just like just like the example you're saying, say on Twitter, uh, you know, you get a lot of fans uh, di- directly tweet towards uh, like some celebrity, and then the celebrity would reply to one or two lucky people, and then that that makes like you know a hell of experience for the fan. Like oh my god, I got a re- like a reply from this famous celebrity. Like that that's something you never forget for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's we're trying to monetize that exchange uh, on our service. So what's been the biggest difference between doing startups on your own or with individual partners and doing startup doing a startup within the framework of a company? Um, that is by and far uh, resources. So when you're doing it on your own, you you gotta like hustle, you know, buy your bootstrap, you know, like scrape everything together and somehow make it work. And um, opposed to that, doing it within this company, like say I need help building the website, I'm surrounded by very talented programmers, engineers who have experience and know how to do it. And uh, when I want to do marketing, I'm surrounded by very, very uh, smart marketers. And um, the reason this, this business makes sense in my situation, um, uh, within my company, we have a, a parent company and brother companies, you know, people under the same umbrella corporation. And these uh, brother companies, they have connections to the music industry, they have connections to the movie uh, acting industry, they have connections to the inf- influencer industry, just in, in the, uh, it, it's, their, it's their market, right? They just have a bunch of customers within those various uh, industries, right? So I have that connection. When I ask, when it comes time to advertise and to get celebrities on board on this service, I have that direct connection to people. And that's an unfair advantage that I have that no other service has or very, very few other uh, people have. Nice. That's cool. So is that, how far along is that? Is there anything you can tell us about how that's coming together? Um, we're very early. Uh, we're just getting started getting in contact with uh, the musicians and actors. And like I said before, uh, how feedback is your lifeblood. Um, we're just getting feedback right now and learning what works, what doesn't work, and why. Like, uh, we have various features on the website, and we get feedback like, that's not necessary, or this feature is necessary for this reason. And uh, once we get the feedback, we fine-tune the service. And when we have it tuned to where we want it to be, then we put, like, real muscle behind it. You know what I mean? You don't want to put cash and time before it's ready or else all that cash and time is wasted. So you want to, you know, fine tune it behind closed doors a little bit. And when you're ready, really put muscle behind it. Nice. 
So I'm just a little bit curious about like Edo Code in general as a company. It's a Japanese company. That's it is a Japanese company, Japanese speaking. So I'm speaking Japanese every day, all day. And are I by far your coworkers are Japanese? Is there any like other foreigners or? It's actually a very international company. So um, how many? Almost half half the company is foreigners. Even at the office in in Ebisu. Yes. So half the company is foreigners. Everybody speaks Japanese, though. Mm -hmm. So you do all your work, and you interact with customers in Japanese. Yep. So everything, all text messages are Japanese. All the clients are Japanese. Uh, the teammates uh, speak Japanese. Everything Japanese. Cool. And you're overall enjoying it. It's a good, it's a good place. Uh, it's great, actually, man. I love it here. Like when I was searching for a job, so I was an uh, entrepreneur for three years, yeah. And you know, you know, you're on your own. You know, you're you know grinding it through. You're hustling and you're passionate, and you're your own boss. And I was really worried, like like I'm gonna fucking hate working in an office, man. I, that that's what was going through my mind as I was searching for a job. I was really scared. I was gonna hate it, right? But when I joined Edicode. Um, to my surprise, like, I fucking loved it, man. I, I really loved my job. I was surprised by how much I loved it. That's cool. Yeah, I've never, I don't think I've ever worked, except for like teaching English or things like that. You know, I've never, or teaching at university. I've never worked for like a private Japanese company in that sense. So that's got to be a pretty cool experience. And your office, like, interactions are pretty easygoing. Do you have like... I mean, it's Corona time, so maybe things are a little bit weird there. But as far as like what time you have to be in the office or where you can you work from home and things like that. Right, right, right. I'm sure like everybody out there, uh, when they when you say like a Japanese company, the company that's in your mind, what you're imagining, like the company I work at here at Edicode is is not what you're imagining. Right. It's not that like uh, like stick up your butt. Like you have to come at this time. You have to leave at this time and everyone's working overtime. And you're speaking Kago like a hundred percent of the time, it, like it's it's nothing like that, man. Like it's very open-minded. Everybody's very friendly. I, I speak Kansai Ben at mm -hmm. at work, like I I do not speak Kago. You know what I mean? Nice. So like it's nothing like what you're imagining. Yeah. Yeah. No. At my work at Apple, I do a lot of customer service stuff, so I've had right. to use a lot of Kago. But it's fun, and Apple also is a very a flexible open company there's a certain degree we're working with non-business customers so you know we ha it's, it's retail customers so we do have to kind of be a little bit careful with that but you know it's still fun and a lot of people are really nice and yeah it's just a matter of getting used to it it can be hard in the japanese environment if you start to get inside your head about all the kegel and what's polite and what's not. Sometimes when I'm on the phone, I have to be a little bit more careful because it's without the face-to-face, -face, you do have to be, watch your words a little more, but. Right, right. When, when they see your face, they understand, right? Like, okay, yeah. this, if this person can't speak kegel, I understand. But if it's on the phone, right, you don't have that, like, oh, it's not immediately obvious that your, your kegel is, is much harder for you to speak kegel than like a native speaker, for example. I say my name. The first thing I do is say my name. I do exactly the same thing. I do the same thing. I immediately say my name. Also, you find a 
Japanese Keigo Senpai because not all Japanese native speakers are created equal. Yeah, <laughs> there yeah, are yeah, some yeah. fools out there. I'm just like, no. And you can tell they get on the phone and they get yelled at a lot. This is like, why are you getting yelled at all the time? Because you can't control your language. You only speak Japanese. Get it right. Yeah, yeah. You're just much better off being like a friendly foreigner once they figure out you're a foreigner than yeah, like yeah. a weirdly rude, disconnected Japanese person. And you're just like, what? what? <laughs> so it's interesting. Yeah. But I'm sure, you know, you don't have to think about that too much. So is it, is your, are your offices like, do you have like some cool amenities, you know, like a lot of startups or like tech companies have like the ping pong table and the, you know, the the sofa and the and the snack corner and things like that. Uh, we got we got a good setup. Uh, we're a small company. We're about 15 people. So we, we oh, can't wow, just that's smaller than I thought. Yeah. So that. oh, cool. We, we can't be like throwing around cash on like ping pong tables and stuff. But like we. Uh, because our parent company and brother companies are related to music, uh, we put some money into nice, like nice uh, speaker and nice stereo setup. So we have like very good music uh, playing all the time, which is awesome. And we have like a nice sofa setup. We have a good. The office is very comfy. Do you just pick your place? You you don't have a set desk. You just kind of uh, there's some tables and places you can. Uh, the the desk is set, but it's like a. They, it's a nice setup. The desk is set, but it's very comfortable. You can walk around very easily. There, there's no like feeling like you're chained down to anything or anything like that. That's cool. So, after your experiences, you said three years as an entrepreneur trying to do the startup thing on your own. Now you're working for a company. What do you think? Like, what's your overall view about startups in Japan, or you know? maybe even any advice or just a perspective that you've gained over the last few years? Um, so like doing a startup, when people tell you that doing a startup is fucking hard, they're not lying, man. They are telling the truth, man. Like it is hard as hell. Um, you really got to do your homework and you really got to hustle. Like it is no joke. You have to hustle uh, from when you wake up to when you go to bed, weekends, uh, no one's going to do it in your place. So it's really hard. But um, is it worth it? Absolutely. It was absolutely worth it in my case. Even though I failed twice, it, it brought me so many opportunities. It brought me... Probably brought you your job. Exactly. Probably, largely, I'm sure. You know, they looked at you and you saw your initiative and your experiences. Exactly. Before I did startups, uh, I was a programmer, right? So I could, I could program. Um, I could get the job done. But if you would ask me, are you, a passionate, are you passionate about programming? Uh, absolutely not. It, it was just what made me money. So that's why I did it. I wasn't passionate about it at all. But it was because I did startups that I learned about business. I learned about, um, I got my hands into all the different departments, like I did a little bit of programming. I did a little bit of business. I did a little bit of sales, a, a little bit of customer um, success. And it's because I had that experience. It's because of that that I got my job as a product manager, right? That, that was a direct straight line from there to getting me here to being a product manager. And now I love my job. So if it wasn't for that struggle, I would not have this job that I love right now. That's cool. All right. How long have you been there? How long has it been at the company? 
almost a year. August 1st will be exactly one year. All right, cool. Are you guys uh, doing any kind of work at home kind of thing? Or how are you doing the corona? Maybe not so much anymore, but back during the Jishiku or? Um, yeah, man, we, we did remote work for about two, three months. And we just got back to it. Now it's optional. People who want to work at the office have the option of working at the office. And people who are more comfortable at home can just stay at home. Uh, that's our current situation. That's cool. Do you, can you, do you do, are you mostly in the office or do you do both? Or how do you balance it out personally? Personally, I live walking distance from my office. Uh, so I don't have to worry about like, uh, you know, pack trains and like, you know, catching coronavirus by riding the train. So I, I just walk to the office and I, I work from the office these days. Yeah. If you're that close, it's almost better, right? If you're at home, it's the family and the distractions. So it's probably just better for you to head into the office, switch on the work, the work mode. Yeah. There's like something to be said about working next to your teammates. Like working at home, there's a lot more freedom in certain respects, but you lose that natural communication um the water cooler conversation as they say like you lose that aspect right so it's a lot easier to uh communicate and work closely with your teammates uh when you're uh it's easier at the office as compared to working at home remotely cool yeah other than that you feeling okay about these corona times sounds like your situation's pretty solid yeah, it's scary, man. Like, you know, I have a baby at home. So that, that's the scariest part. If it wasn't for uh, little Ricky, my little baby, um, I would feel not too worried. Like, I, I'm pretty healthy. I should be fine. Obviously, I, I don't want to contribute to it spreading. So I would, you know, practice social distancing and all that. But I wouldn't feel any risk. But because of little, risk, little Ricky, I, I do feel that little risk. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you, you know, um, but I think we're the whole world's in it together. So and hopefully, I mean, Japan's OK. You know, the cases kind of go up every day and it's a little scary, but I think it's probably manageable yeah. anyway. So you see your future is continuing at the company for for some years to come and also figuring out that startup thing. Um, yeah, I see my future here for a while. I can, I can try new businesses uh, while working at EdoCode. So I, I get the best of all worlds and I still love my job as, as long as I feel that. Uh, I think I'll be here for a while. All right, cool. Well, thanks for your insights and your story about starting uh, startups in Japan. That was pretty cool, man. I didn't realize, you know, after the Musubi, we hadn't exactly kept in touch. So I wasn't yeah. sure how that was going, but it's good to see you're doing, you know, you're doing well. If not well, you're actually doing, yeah, you're doing some good things. So that's good. Yeah. How how you been, by the way, man, like within these crazy times? I've been okay. Um, I still work at Apple. I still do kind of my translation stuff on the side. Um, I I would like to be more free and do more freelance stuff. I haven't really, I think I had, I think I need to double down on the hustle and really focus. It's it's gotten really comfortable at Apple, and that's part right. of the, sometimes the problem. So I admire your kind of your guts, man. Like able to pursue what you wanted to do. I think I kind of need to do that a little more strongly. But that's part of the, this this podcast is part of all that. So I'm right, right. trying to keep up with this. 
as the uh, listeners know, the the longest running, uh, continuously running Japan podcast, but also the most um, infrequent, yeah. <laughs> inconsistent. But I had an episode last week. I got another interview coming up soon. So trying to keep that together. So yeah, everybody, please stay tuned. And uh, yeah, once again, thanks, man. It's good having you on. It's great to be here, man. I hope to hear from you again.